This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks. This is your host, Chris Macy, with Redeeming the Time. And it is so good to be here with you this day. Well, the weather here in Phoenix is still, I, I think, pretty good. It's not too terribly hot. Some of you may be disagreeing with me. But, you know, as, uh, as far as the, toward the end of May goes, this isn't so bad. And I'm kind of excited about uh, the upcoming summer, not because of the heat, but because of the uh, many things we have going on up at the North Valley uh, Church of Christ, uh, where I preach. We have a, a lot of events going on, such as uh, <clears throat> we have a, this... Um, camp we we help support every year called the copper basin bible camp it's up in prescott arizona and uh, from the beginning of june uh, all the way to the end of, or into july we have uh, several camps for different age groups and you can go to their uh, website you can find their website actually by just just go ahead and go to ours it's an easy one to, to look up it's a uh, www.nvcoc.net and in there, you can discover all kinds of things that we do here at North Valley. Find the link for Copper Basin Bible Camp. You can even Google that, and it'll give you some good information there. And in fact, we were uh, just up at uh, Copper Basin uh, for this past weekend. We have what we call our family retreat. Uh, the members of the uh, congregation here at North Valley, m- many of us head up there. We had about almost 30 up there for the weekend. And we... Uh, have great fellowship. We played games. We played basketball and uh, volleyball. We hiked in the woods. We slept. Some people slept in tents. There's a nice lodge and other cabins up there. It's a wonderful place. It's a great time to just get away and, and spend time with one another and get out of the hustle and bustle of life. It's a great reset, I guess you could say, for uh, each and every every one of us. Well, I want to uh, look at a whole host of things uh, today. Um, trying to think of where to where to begin. I hope it doesn't sound uh, come across too choppy. But um, I was reading a um, an article about why do teens uh, why why do our kids leave the church? And it, it was a it's from a religious website, so it's pretty much the the study was done on every field of religion out there. There's no specific, but this is something that that plagues everybody. Um, I shouldn't say plagues, but it's an issue for uh, everybody. And what it is, what I, I think, my opinion is, the reason, one of the reasons, I'm, I'm sure there's multiple reasons, but I think one of the reasons why children, we can't keep them uh, in the, the body of Christ or in the, uh, the congregation after they leave uh, to go off to college, may be because sometimes, in some places, we separate them out as if they're different. Uh, you, you see some of the larger uh, congregations, and they'll have those uh, youth uh, family centers, they call them, which is pretty much a, a basketball court, and they play games. Uh, some congregations go as far as on Sunday morning, they'll have uh, their worship, and they let the kids have their own worship over there. So there's no con- there's no unity between the, uh, the older generation and the younger generation. So when they get older, they head off to college, they have no ties to it, they have no feelings like they're losing anything, because all their friends that they grew up with are off to college too, so they're not there anymore. So what's the big deal? Why not leave? Why not go do something else? So I think that's one reason that... Uh, kids don't stick around because we don't involve them with the whole congregation. Uh, one of the things I read in this article was 
some of the kids responded uh, to this survey saying, well, the preacher uh, didn't say anything that really related to my life. They didn't feel any kind of connection. And I wonder if maybe that's just, uh, um, maybe they're not listening, maybe it's the preacher, maybe the uh, the lessons aren't as in-depth, or maybe they're just not Bible-based. I I truly think that people in this world have a great, great hunger for the truth. Uh, When I say that, what I mean is, I I don't know if all the preachers out there in the different congregations, I don't know if they're really preaching the whole word of God. You know, we've all heard or or, uh, seen sometimes where some will preach from the the pulpit, but they will preach things that will keep people in the seats or preach things that they know that, hey, these people will give money, more money, if I talk on this particular topic. Uh, Paul speaks of this in 2 Corinthians. He says this is peddling the word of God. And they don't, they don't, he was saying to them, we don't do that. We don't peddle the word of God. That is like a salesman. We don't give things or take things away. Whatever it takes to keep you uh, here, to give you the sell, we'll change things in the Bible to keep you. That's peddling the word of God. So I think that uh, that is uh, definitely an issue with keeping young folks in in the church because there's no there's no connection there's no truth and I think they are hungry for that and so there's just uh, some thoughts on that uh, something I was reading this morning and uh, I think when we uh, raise our children the parents have the the largest obligation there they're the ones that are going to really instill the love and the respect for God that they need. Uh, I see uh, many parents here at North Valley. They do that. We have this thing on Wednesday nights called Pew Packers. And what it is, it's, a, it's about a tw- 15, 20 minutes. The kids all sit up front. Uh, the retired preacher, um, Charles Milner, was the one who would always uh, 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 run that. He's uh, since moved on to Texas. And now we have one of our parents, uh, Ron Armstrong and Alex Bigham, they uh, both uh, take care of that, and they, they'll ask questions of the kids. We have these pre-made questions, or they'll also have uh, uh, verses. They'll, they'll t- say the verse, and they'll hold it up, and then they'll tell, tell us where the passage is. And every week, they, each kid has a memory verse. And these, the kids are excited to do it. They, they know they love knowing these things, and they, they get frustrated with themselves when they don't get it right. And then when they hear their answer, they're like, oh, that's right, oh, I knew that. And it's great to see. Uh, we involve them in the worship when they're, especially uh, when they're uh, baptized in the body of Christ. They read scripture. They lead prayer. They're part of the Lord's table. We've had the some of the younger teenagers who uh, are, are members of the body uh, lead the class on Wednesday nights. Uh, one time, I think we had them do Sunday night. They do a wonderful job, and uh, they, they're they're strong in the church. These are going to be our future leaders, and I think we need to instill that. And it starts with the parent. And these are just some some thoughts I'm putting out there based on some of the articles I've been seeing uh, lately uh, online. Sorry for that. <clears throat> and so I just want to want to leave you with a couple of those thoughts. I, I want to move the the the, uh, the thought now over to to another uh, section. This is going to be seem kind of a, a change, but as I was preaching this last night. Uh, at the, uh, I'm sorry, Sunday night at services, uh, we had about oh, only like 16, 17 folks here Sunday night. Uh, most of our congregation was still up at the Copper Basin Bible Camp, um, but I wanted to reiterate some of the things from that lesson. I, I was, I really liked it. Uh, I titled it "God the Creator." And it's based on um, Genesis chapter 1. When you open your Bibles, or when you, you probably already know what it is, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, 
has that one phrase we all know so well. In the beginning, God. In fact, that the name, the very name Genesis, uh, means beginning. It's it's a transliteration for us from the Hebrew. It it tells the book of Genesis tells of the beginning of the world and the beginning of mankind, the beginning of sin, the beginning of sacrifice for sins, and the beginning of God's special relationship with the people He created. Uh, in fact, <clears throat> it makes me think of a, a a quote from Abraham Lincoln. He said once, I never behold the heavens filled with stars that I do not feel I am looking in the face of God. I can see how it might be possible for a man to look down upon the earth and be an atheist, but I cannot conceive how he could look up into the heavens and say, there is no God. Amazing how true he, he, those words are, I think, of Abraham Lincoln. You know, someone once said it's nearly impossible to fully understand the rest of the Bible unless we understand the very first 12 chapters of Genesis. Those chapters form the foundation of the rest of what the Bible is all about. For example, uh, those first words, in the beginning, God. Before anything else happened, there was God. Scripture didn't start out in the beginning, the earth was without form or void, or in the beginning, before the sun and solar systems, or in the beginning, in a land far, far away. It simply said, in the beginning, God. And many folks get the mistaken impression that the Bible is geocentric. Uh, Geo meaning earth, as in geography. In other words, they believe the Bible is centered on the earth and mankind. And that's partly true. But the Bible is actually theocentric. Theo means God. It is centered on God. The Hebrew writer points this out in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. And they will all become like like a garment, and like a mantle you will roll them up. Like a garment they will also be changed. But you are the same, and your years will never come to an end. Everything in Scripture is built, not so much around the earth or man, but around God. Now why, why is that important? Why is it important that that the Bible starts out saying, "In the beginning, God"? Well, I got two things, two thoughts on that. Number one, it starts that way because God formed the earth. These are kind of obvious, but I just want to talk about them. He created the earth. He owns it. It belongs to Him. And we may be actors on this grand stage of life, but God owns the stage. He owns the props. He owns us. Everything that you see and touch in this world belongs to God. It makes me think of this uh, uh, funny joke uh, I heard once. A group of scientists, they get, got together and decided they, uh, they no longer needed God. So one of them, they got up on a high mountain, they looked up to heaven, and one of them said to God, We've decided we no longer need you. We can do all kinds of things through science. We can even clone people and make body parts, so we just... We just don't need you anymore. So God listened to them patiently, listened to all their arguments of why they don't need him. And, and then he said, okay, let's have a man-making contest just like in the days of Adam. The scientists gathered together and they talked about it and then they all agreed. One of the scientists bent down to grab himself a handful of dirt. God smiled and said, no, 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 you go get your own dirt. <laughs> you see, it's it's all God's. Everything is His. No matter what we make or create or how great of a society we can develop here, ultimately, it all belongs to God. He created everything. And once we figure that out, everything else in Scripture begins to make sense. But you have to start 
with God. The second reason Genesis starts out saying, in the beginning God, I think, is because without God, nothing else matters. Nothing has purpose. Nothing has real value. You take God out of the picture and you end up with an empty, meaningless universe. You know, about 50 years ago, there was a man named Hugh Moorhead. He wrote several famous people, people who were accomplished and had uh, made something of their lives, and he asked if they'd, uh, if they'd help him by telling him what they thought of the following question. What is the purpose of life? Good question. Well, here are some of the responses he got back. Isaac Asimov wrote back, As far as I can see, there is no purpose to life. Arthur Clarke, the author of 2001 A Space Odyssey, wrote, I'm afraid I have no concrete ideas of the purpose of life. Uh, Thomas Nagel, I'm afraid the meaning of life still eludes me. Fred Allen, uh, life is a slow walk down a long hall that gets darker as you approach the end. And Joseph Heller, the author of Catch-22, wrote, I have no answers to the meaning of life, and I no longer want to search for any. (laughs) These are famous people. These are uh, uh, people who had arrived in their respective fields of endeavor. They were successful in the world but they were apparently people without God in their world. And because of that, they had no answer as to the purpose of life. You see, it's God that creates value in this world and in us. Without God, you're left with with nothing that has any real value to it. Everything you see in this world becomes a, a mere accident without God, a chance collection of atoms and molecules. There is no plan. There's no purpose. But once you put God back into the picture, life suddenly has value. David wrote, Psalm 40, verse 5, uh, Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders which you have done, and your thoughts toward us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. Jeremiah 2.11, God declared, Has a nation changed gods when they were not gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Jeremiah 2.11. Ephesians 2.10, Paul writes, uh, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Over and over and over again, uh, the Bible, uh, in the Bible, God tells us, we are valuable in that he has a plan and that he has a purpose for our lives. And he, he wants to direct us into that. But if God is not in your life, if you don't have that, life becomes empty. It becomes void. It's God that gives us value. You know, uh, the, the currency that we use is the, uh, the, the dollar. And if you pull a $20 bill out, we know it's worth $20. It says 20 on it. But we know that the paper that is printed on, that's, that's not worth $20. The ink it's printed with isn't worth $20. That little pas- plastic strip that's in that $20 bill, that's not worth $20. So what makes it worth $20? Why? Well, it's worth that much because the U.S. US government says it's worth that much. And to verify this bill's value, the federal government puts its image on that bill. So how do I know that as a person I have value? Well, I think it's because God put his image in me. Genesis 1.27 God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. You and I are made in the image of God. We have this value, intrinsic value in us. If for that reason alone you are worth a great deal. Here's another illustration. Norman Vincent Peale 
told of seeing a tattoo parlor in Hong Kong once. He was looking around, browsing, and in the window there was displayed samples of tattoos available. Uh, you could get uh, on your chest or your arms. You could have the tattoo of an anchor, the flag, a mermaid, whatever you want. But then he said, you know, something struck him. He, he saw there in one of the designs, uh, one that you put up on your shoulder, it said, born to lose. He was shocked by this, couldn't believe it. And so he walked into the store. There was a Chinese man in there, and he, that, that tattoo artist. And he asked, pointing at that born to lose, he says, do people really ask to have that tattooed on their bodies? And the man shook his head, yes. He said, I don't, I don't understand what would possess somebody in their mind to want to have that tattooed on their body. The Chinese man simply tapped his forehead and said, before tattoo on body, tattooed on mind. In other words, what you think you are shapes who you are. How true that is. If you think you were born to lose, if you think you have no purpose or value, that's, that's just how you're going to live out your life. But if you realize that you have intrinsic value, you will tend to live up to that image. And God says you have value because his image is tattooed on your very soul. But that's not the only reason we have value. God tells us that everything in this world was created for us. He said in Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That's our commission. We are stewards of this world. It has been placed in our hands to take care of God's creation. No other part of God's creation was entrusted with that responsibility, and no other part of creation even thinks about preserving the world around them. God gave that responsibility to us. That's how much God values us. He created this world for us and gave us the stewardship of the entire earth. And Genesis 1 not only tells me that God created this world just for us, it goes into great detail to show the lengths God went to to prepare this world for us. The earth is the only known planet in the universe with the advantages for life. Our planet is in what they call the, the Goldilocks zone, not, not, to clo- not too close to the sun, not too far away. I have a, I have a list here I want to share with you <clears throat> Excuse me. that I, I think you'll find quite interesting. Uh, I think I've shared it on this, this program before. If the earth was one degree closer to the sun, we would fry. We would, it would just burn us up. If we were one degree further from the sun, we would freeze to death. If the moon was any closer or any larger, the tides would destroy the coastlines. If the moon was any smaller or further away, the oceans would die from a lack of nutrient movement. If our distance from Jupiter were any greater, asteroids and comets would pepper the Earth. If we were any closer to Jupiter, our orbit would become unstable. If If Earth's surface gravity was any stronger... It would retain too much ammonia and methane, and we wouldn't be able to breathe. If it were any weaker, the atmosphere would lose too much water, and we would not uh, have the liquid necessary to survive. If the Earth's crust were any thicker, it would absorb too much, uh, uh, too much of our oxygen. Again, we wouldn't be able to breathe. If it were any thinner, the Earth would uh, move and shake beneath our feet and would make life impossible. If our oceans were half their present size, we would receive only one quarter of the rainfall we do now. If they were just one-eighth larger, 
we'd get four times the annual precipitation we do now, and our planet would become a vast, uninhabitable swamp. And I could go on and on and on about the uniqueness of this planet that God has created for us. And there are scientists out there right now who pretend that they can find a planet out there that has the ability to sustain life, but the very fragile balance of, this, of its various parts makes that planet uh, a good place for life is, is virtually impossible to duplicate. No matter how many billions of planets there may be out in our universe, really it is just statistically improbable any of them would match the life-giving perfection of this simple planet that we call Earth. That's why Genesis is so specific about the care God took in preparing earth for mankind. It had to be just so, or life could not exist. One last thing I want to share with you, and I'll, I'll bring this part to a close. We've got uh, six more minutes. <clears throat> what did God create on the first day? He created light. And this wasn't the sun, the moon, uh, or moon kind of light. God created the sun, moon, and stars three days later. This light was a divine light, a light that came directly from God to light our world. It had to be from God. It had to be divine. But this is what's odd. The light was the only thing God created on the first day. And so I thought to myself, why? Why just create light? I mean, why, why, why not do some, a few more things? Uh, why did he only create light? And it didn't even have a source. It, had, it was just from God. You know, we, we think that sometimes we try to think of these things in a physical terms in our world. If I walk into a dark room, or if I'm going into a room and it's dark, I, I flip on the light. I didn't go in the room just to turn on the light. I go in the room looking for something, but I needed light to see. So I flip it on, and that's just something I do to use as a tool to find my purpose. God created the light and then stopped. That was the purpose. Finished the purpose for that day. He turned on the divine light, and then that was it. He waited to the next day, for evening and morning. That was the first day. I think turning on the light was why God came into the room. He wasn't just creating the world for us. From the very first day of creation, God intended to send us a message of his plan for us from the beginning of eternity. Do you want to know what that message was? Let me, uh, let me set the stage for you. John chapter 8, verse 12, uh, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Again, John chapter 1, verse 4, we're told that in Jesus, in him, was life, and that life was the light of man. Jesus was the light of the world. But what did Jesus do to give us that light? Well, he died for our sins. He was buried, and he rose from the grave. When he rose from the grave, Jesus conquered death. He gave us hope of life eternal. And which day of the week did Jesus rise from the, uh, or was arose from the grave and conquered death? What, what was the day of the week? It was the first day. Genesis 1, 3 through 5. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. When God created the world, he lit the world with a divine light. There was no other light for the world, that was it. Without that divine light, the world was cast in complete 
darkness. And without that divine light, there would be no life on the earth God created. In the same way, Jesus is the divine light. Without his light, the world is in darkness. And he is the only light that can give you and me hope for life. And it is his light that can change the lives of people plunged in the darkness of a sinful world. There was a lady, she was 50 years old. Her name was Rose Crawford. She had been blind since she was born. And one day she had an operation, and when the doctor took the bandages from her eyes, she said, I just can't believe it. And she began to weep. For the first time in her life, she could actually see. She saw the the, the beautiful world around her, all the forms and the shapes and the, the dazzling amount of color. The amazing thing about her story, though, was that 20 years of her blindness was unnecessary. She didn't know that surgical techniques had been developed and that an operation could have restored her vision at the age of 30. Her doctor said she just figured there was nothing that could be done for her condition. Much of her life could have been different, though. And you know, the Bible tells us that without Jesus, people live their lives in spiritual darkness. They've failed in their lives and sinned so much that they began to feel worthless and without value. They figured that nothing can be done to remove their shame and their hopelessness. But Jesus said, you don't have to live like that. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so the question now for many of you is, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is the only true light of this world? And if so, do you care enough for your neighbors and for your friends and for your family to tell them of what God wants to do in their lives? Interesting things for us all to think about. Well, our time is coming to a close, and so I must bid you goodbye. Thank you for spending your time with me here this uh This afternoon, I hope you have a blessed day. But above all, I want to thank our Lord Jesus for giving us this time, for giving us this opportunity to redeem our time, to make the most of what he has given us. And let us do that in our lives, in our thoughts, in our prayers, in our study of his word with those around us. Thank you so much for being here this afternoon. Goodbye. Sending out to sweep away till Shaddam the better day. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Till the sinful world be one for Jehovah's mighty son. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. Be sure to check out the podcast for this program on FamilyValuesRadio1010.com. To find it, just go to the website and click on the podcast link at the top of the page.